0: Good afternoon everyone, Uh, my name is Julius Duncan, Director at BECG and welcome to this BECG conversation on building safety. Um, Before I welcome our two eminent speakers and guests today, just a few words on housekeeping and also why we're choosing to hold this event at this time. Um, First on format, we'll start with some opening remarks from each of our guests and then after a brief conversation on some of the key themes, we really want you to pose your questions. Um, Clive and Ian have both told me they're very keen to understand what your questions and concerns are on this big topic and so we can address those. So please use the question functionality. You should see it there, if not now, um, once the next part of the webinar starts, type your questions in there, we'll field them and put them uh, to Clive and to Ian. And secondly, so why this event at this time? Um, As communicators in the built environment, we've been working on this topic for some time, but of course, sadly, it's because of the terrible and tragic events of 2017 and the fire at the Grenfell Tower that we are where we are today. And following that awful night, the government asked Dame Judith Hackett to carry out her independent review of building regulations and fire safety, and her report, published in May 2018 was pretty damning, concluding that the whole system needed major reform and that resident safety needed to be a greater priority through the entire life cycle of construction, design, construction through to occupation and maintenance. And the government's response, this government's response to the Hackett Review is the Building Safety Bill. That bill was published in draft form in July and has been under pre-legislative scrutiny by the Housing Communities and Local Government Select Committee since then. And today, just today, the committee published its report on the findings of their scrutiny process um, and questions have been asked in the house today on that very topic. And that is why we're particularly fortunate to have the chair of that select committee, Clive Betts MP with us. Clive has led this robust scrutiny process over the past months, and this will be a great opportunity to ask him about his findings uh, and the key topics, considerations and recommendations that he's made. Alongside Clive and bringing the industry view, I'm delighted that we have Ian Fletcher, the British Property Federation's Director of Real Estate Policy and their lead on building safety. Gentlemen, good evening to both of you and thank you for joining us uh, for this conversation this evening. And to start off, i just ask both of you to share some opening remarks on this crucial topic um and clive over to you to start
1: thank you very much uh, uh, julius uh, thank you for inviting me uh I mean, clearly as you said this all arose out of uh, the grenfell tragedy uh, and i think the very simple objective to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again uh, i think that's a, a shared objective uh, uh, across the house of commons and obviously wider than that so the building safety bill is an important piece of um legislation in draft form and i think it was good the government brought the legislation forward in draft form because there are lots of technical issues here which shouldn't be the subject of party political debate across the chamber and house of commons rather it's come to the select committee where we are cross-party Um, five Labour MPs but six Conservative MPs Uh, and we agreed this report unanimously uh, looking at the evidence from a wide number of stakeholders we had uh, five uh, different sessions um, 10 different panels I think nearly 30 witnesses as well as receiving an awful amount of written evidence which we gave consideration to and I think we've come up with 40 ways in which we think the bill can be improved this isn't criticism of government no legislation has ever got right particularly something as technical as as this um right at the beginning so it's, it's an important part of uh, of an improvement process um but obviously some slightly controversial issues in there which we we have raised we'll probably go on and look at uh, some of those particularly uh, one of them i'll just highlight because i've asked an urgent question of the um housing minister there in the commons is about who pays um, for the removal of um, the dangerous cladding, both the ACM cladding on Grenfell, but the other cladding, which is not of limited combustibility, uh, of probably around 2,000 different high-rise residential blocks in the country. Um, At this stage, there's a lack of clarity. Government have said at one time leaseholders shouldn't have to pay, then leaseholders shouldn't have to pay uh, costs that aren't affordable. That was defined by the minister as something that doesn't bankrupt people that's a bit of an extreme definition today it became leaseholders shouldn't have to pay on unfair costs um yes it's all right saying that developers should have to pay but many of the developers are long gone freeholders are under no obligation to pay so in the end is the government going to have to pick up the bill in which case the bill is going to be far bigger than the 1.6 billion pounds they've identified so there's a big issue for the debate there and of course Going further, um, the the issue of of, uh, dangerous cladding is only one aspect of fire safety problems in buildings that already exist. But this bill is is actually about going forward, making sure we don't make the same mistakes again. I think it's part of a wider package of reforms. There's a fire safety bill in parliament as well at present. And then of course there will be um, revisions to building regulations across the board uh, and hopefully what we get to in the end I think is absolutely key is not simply a set of new regulations a new set of legislation but also a change of culture in the industry that's one thing Dame Judith Hackett and it's her recommendations that have been implemented in this bill said very clearly it is not just about regulation or prescription it's also about culture and that's up to the industry to sort itself out On
0: Great thank you so much Clive I think that is a, a good note to uh, hand over to Ian.
2: Thank you Julius and, and thank you for the invite today and, and to Clive for joining us on what no doubt is a busy day. Um, yeah, For me um, I think that um, this is probably the most difficult issue that I've worked on in my uh, representative career um, and not only because of the you know, harrowing context of, of Grenfell that, that uh, Clive has touched on. Yeah, it's an issue that um, I think has numerous stakeholders um, you know, cover some very technical issues and you know, it has been unstable I, you know, I still come across people that sort of say oh it's that cladding issue and uh, it's gone, gone far more uh, beyond cladding um, to you know, fire doors and uh, yeah, right. um, fire stopping um, sort of basic ways in which we build in the UK and I suppose the critical question for me is yeah how we remedy where we are and I think um, yeah, that has two strands to it and at the moment i'm, I'm not sure that they're balanced i think uh, the first strand you know is, is the legislation you know, is the uh, uh, the building safety bill and fire safety bill you know those are making progress um you know, very much welcome the select committee's report out today um you know the various other strands have been worked on in terms of regulator competencies and so on yeah, but um, I think yeah that that regime is probably about eighteen months away, um, and know yeah, in the meantime, there are a lot of existing buildings that are out there that um you need need things to happen now, and uh, yeah, three aspects of that I think I'd sort of highlight that yeah you know, the first is knowing those buildings. Um, you know, MHCLG back in July 2019 started an exercise to identify all, all buildings over 18 meters high. Um, as far as I'm aware, that, that data set still isn't complete yet. Um, and yeah, if we are to um, start to audit those buildings, make sure they're safe, then we need that data set. Um, yeah. Secondly, there is the capacity in 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 the sector to be able to do those those sorts of audits. Um, yeah, some of the best in class in my membership are yeah, already going out and and, and auditing their stock. Um, yeah, particularly if it's residential and over 18 meters. But if everybody was to do that, I don't think there'd be the you know there's not the fire engineers, there's not the uh the inspectors out there to be able to cope with that. And so yeah, where we get that capacity was a very welcome um announcement at the weekend. I think RICS saying you know they aim to train up two thousand people in six months. I think you know we need we need more of that. And then as 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 Clive has touched on, yeah, uh, I think there's the you know, the big issue of of funding, and uh, the government has put some funding in, but it's it's not near enough. Um, and then finally, just just turning to the sector itself, um, yeah, you know, I, I I see people um, who are interested in uh, in building safety, uh, but they're interested in building building safety because they're building safety professionals, and whilst that's a good thing, and I engage yeah on a weekly basis with our building safety sounding. I think if the industry is really to change the culture as Judith wants to see, yeah, then building safety rather like the other issues of our day, yeah, sort of things like diversity and sustainability. Yeah, building safety also needs to be up there. It needs to be a you know, board and senior management um, level issue. And I uh, yeah, slightly worry that it's a, it's a professional issue and it's not, not something that is being discussed in the boards and senior management of the sector.
0: ian uh, clive thank you very much indeed and it's um just to put some more commentary around that and, and really think where we got to today with the select committee's report um, when this was announced the building safety bill was announced in draft form by by robert Jenrick. He, he did describe it as the most fundamental and significant changes to building safety legislation in decades and just on a you know a, a principal point of view putting the detail to one side. Do you think it has gone far enough at at this stage? And uh, Clive, I'll ask you to comment on that first, please. I
1: I think it is fairly fundamental. Um, I think it's only one of a number of measures that will get us to the fundamental change. Uh, I mentioned, you you've got to, I think, complete review of the uh, uh, building regulations, which is is ongoing. Um, You're going to need the the, the funding to make things happen uh, for past problems um and one thing we may come on to is um for, for reasons that i think are justifiable and the committee looked at this um, initially it applies to a limited number of very high-rise buildings uh the, the, the new tougher regime um for um building safety uh will eventually need to be rolled out Um, to to many more properties, which are at-risk properties, if you like, or particularly at-risk people in the properties. That's something Mm -hmm. we looked at. Um, I think, ideally, we would have liked the the legislation initially to cover far more properties, but we recognise, and I think the point that Ian's made is is just recently uh, in his comments, absolutely right, um, that there is is this shortage of professional skills. Uh, We're asking the industry uh, to do new things uh many more of those new things so i think taking it step by step and making sure we get it right and train up more people uh i, I think it is key to eventually getting more buildings covered thank you ian what's your
0: view on that
2: um yeah i think that the, the sector is broadly supportive of the bill Yeah, you know, I, I yeah uh um, have to compliment um clive and the select committee on their report um I think 12 recommendation, main recommendations and I, I, I don't think I disagree with any of them, I think uh, you know, they're all very good in terms of trying to get the bill into a better, better place. Um, I suppose any, you know, any piece of legislation is only as good as its implementation um, and for that you've got to look at the sort of practicality of the proposals, um, communication. Uh, the effectiveness of the regulator um the competencies that there are of the people that will be able to 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 implement it um yeah and so the, you know, all, all of that is i think work in progress and i know it was a subject of one or two the recommendations of the select committee which i yeah. think uh, yeah. were important um yeah i think um you yeah, know certainly in terms of the content we have a good good engagement with officials um i think they were under resourced to start with but um certainly over the last year as the bill um has got into its sort of process, yeah, you know, that there, there has been the bodies on, on the ground to be able to engage with all parts of the sector. Yeah, you know, there's three three or four aspects I think of the bill that um you know particularly important for our membership or for property owners um uh, mainly um you know, first is uh, definitions around accountable person uh and uh, uh for you know, for good reason sometimes that is complex um and I think uh uh, the bill team have tried to reflect that. Um, I think the uh, role of the building safety manager um, and how that is implemented is is very important for our members um, and uh, some of the other aspects around Gateway Three. Um, I think the interaction with a minority of tenants that are not cooperative, and again, I think the bill has tried to address that. Um, and then uh, the uh, uh scrutiny of the building safety charge which really only has been done in the in in, in the select committee so far and um yeah significant concerns around that how the interplay with service charges um and i know again i think the select committee has some sensible recommendations on that
0: thank you very much and you you've touched on some of the the real specifics there and it's a good opportunity here for for us to make sure we're addressing some questions from the room Um, and I've got a question here from James Preston Hood at Grosvenor Um, and for you Clive and it relates to what Ian was just running through um, the first question do you Clive have a view as to the most important improvements that need to be taken into account for the proposed bill Um, maybe you could give some prioritization I know to the the many things that you have um, put forward some recommendations on today
1: um, well, I think that there are many just to pick out one or two and then I'm sure I'll, I'll think later and find I've missed the most important one out. As sometimes you do when you're trying to respond uh, to questions. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think the, um, the, the building control, uh, making sure it's completely uh, independent of the developer. Um, uh, for uh, the, 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 the the high re- rise buildings, which will be the initial high risk category, um, uh, which are included uh, in the bill. Uh, we'd like to extend that, um, that, that building control should always be independent of the developer right the way through uh, the whole of the industry, where we've gone slightly further than the uh, bill uh, uh, suggests. Uh, and, and I think, uh, and just mentioned that the whole idea Of accountable persons, and having at each stage of a building being designed, developed, and then managed, to have someone who is clearly responsible. Uh, I I think that's, you know, it's and the golden thread of information passed on between them that that Dame Judith recommended. And I think ultimately, then, a building uh, manager. uh, And we make additional suggestions there that there should be uh, a proper um, specification and training what a building manager's job is it shouldn't be anybody uh oh so and so that they used to do something in buildings give them a job because that's sometimes the way it's happened a bit in the past uh in the industry so it's got it's got to be treated as a, a as a profession with proper trained and skilled people doing it but it's back to the point that will take some time to do
0: absolutely i was interested as well in your recommendations clive around that transition if you're going to a duty holder accountable person regime that you can't Simply expect that to happen. Do you have any thoughts in terms of how that transition needs to happen, how long it might take?
1: Uh, I, I don't. I don't we, I, I'm not going to sort of make it up, but I, I think it's the, the skills issue is going to be a, a, a real one. What we've said is we think the government should do an assessment of that. And one of our recommendations was that the government should set out early on. It's, it, it, it's an anticipated timeline uh, for when the recommendations are come into effect. Uh, which won't be the same as when the bill passes in Parliament. Uh, Much of what's going to be eventually implemented, we haven't seen yet because it's going to be in secondary legislation. Uh, And so identifying, you know, at what point it will be possible to bring all those new, all those regulations into effect and trying to give industry a heads up as early as possible so they can plan for it. I think it's going to be absolutely key
0: yeah and, and that's to the culture change point isn't it and ian from your conversations with industry just how do you think that can be best supported what has worked in the past and what could we look to here
2: so in terms of culture change um yeah, as with any um yeah, profession or um issue where you're trying to affect culture change it's you know there's no silver bullet it is a case of you know embedding it within a yeah, number of practices and uh your ways in which the sector operates. And uh, yeah, yeah, d Dame, Dame Judith um yeah, in terms of yeah, saying that this was a sort of systemic uh, systemic failure across the industry, yeah, means that everybody has to 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 step up to the plate. Um yeah, some really good work going on in the uh, construction leadership council. Um you yeah, know if you look at the sort of macro level of this issue, yeah I mean, we've been building yeah, stuff the wrong way um for a number of years. Um, yeah, I don't think we always have. I think yeah, there is um certainly a, a part of the sector that puts an emphasis on quality. Um, yeah, but there's a part of the sector that, you know, has always, I suppose, focused on you know, putting out bids to contractors and taking the lowest bid. And yeah, perhaps you know, some of the problems that we now face are reflection of that. And so, yeah, a lot of the work that the Construction Leadership Council is doing is, you know, looking how we move away from that, how we embed into you know, things like public procurement. Um, yeah, so it's not the lowest bidder that, that always wins, but you yeah, know, those that are coming forward with quality pro- 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 propositions and you know, making sure that um, you know uh, building safety is embedded throughout the process. Um, yeah, yeah, the other end of the process, obviously, there is. Um, I think. Uh, um yeah, you can focus on a number of micro issues, um, yeah, construction products, uh, the, the way that the uh, yeah, building control system um, operates. And I yeah, wholeheartedly agree with 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 Clive's recommendations on yeah, the um uh the the client not being able to choose their particular mm-hmm. building control organization. So um but um yeah, a, a, a lot of work to do to to affect that culture change. Yeah, and I think um you know, a lot of that is going on um through a number of bodies in the sector. Um you know, just also name check. I think um some of the work that the construction industry council's been doing and um industry response group work, working group eight around competencies and yeah, you know, thinking about uh, building safety managers, how they operate. Um all that is I think um you know, extremely important. Thank
0: thank you, Ian. Um Uh, I've got a question from the the floor here, Clive, and obviously detail is what you focused on today that you would have potentially like to see some more detail and you don't want to leave it all to secondary legislation. And I've got a question from Catherine Metcalf, um, which is how seriously was the committee's scrutiny hampered, if it were, by the lack of detail um, at this stage?
1: Well, clearly we we can't um, look at the totality of the legislation and what it is going to do and how it's going to do it because so much of it is going to be secondary legislation you'll probably find that the 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 the, the cumulative um, secondary legislation is going to be larger than the bill itself by the time it's finished um, so you know, that 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 and th- that happens in these cases uh, it, it happens simply because there hasn't been time to write it all we understand that it happens because some of it may reflect comments that are made um, but also it happens because there is sometimes a benefit uh, for everyone in secondary legislation containing important matters because it means that if you get them wrong and there will be aspects of this bill which uh, are not found to be as as perfect as they might be only when they're tried out in practice and of course if you've got secondary legislation where where the imperfections are you can always change it relative relatively easily uh, it's a you know, one-and-a-half-hour deba- debate in a committee in Parliament if it's generally non-controversial. Uh, primary legislation works in the queue somewhere for everything else, and it can be years and years. So I think there, there are benefits. On the other hand, um, yeah, we, we can't get the, the, the totality of what's happening. What we, what we said very strongly was, however, that we want as much as possible of that legislation produced and available before the bill is considered in Parliament because if it doesn't appear until after the bill's been agreed, then really trying to be be any way effective in scrutinizing it is really almost impossible. So as much of that legislation, second legislation as possible, upfront and available before the bill itself is considered.
0: Great, thank you. We'll we'll, um, move on to some financial matters um, in a second, but I just wanted to introduce a poll to all of our guests um, we've got a poll just to ask that same question just to take view um, and we'll bring it up on the screen now and if everyone could just answer it and the question is does the building safety bill go far enough to improve safety across the sector three op- options there um, and then we'll be really interested to understand from from this audience which, you know a lot of people are in the industry and Practitioners within development um, and property to see see that snap poll there. Um, Bringing it to the financial side of things, and really, uh, I suppose, Clive, you'd call it the uh, the fifteen billion dollar, the fifteen billion pound question, um, yeah. which is what your committee estimates the total cost of remediating just high rise might be.
2: What's, yeah, well, um, I think we, we, what's the, what's the we way went through
0: to, this thorny topic sorry. of. Uh, of of who pays what would be what's the next stage uh, that you would recommend to try and unblock which seems to be a an ongoing conversation
1: well what what i'd say is um that it's it's somewhere that you want to begin the other way around and say who shouldn't pay uh now clearly you know there's been this big issue about leaseholders they bought properties in good faith they haven't done anything wrong uh, none, none of them you know, built the properties they, they they probably had a standard survey done by their bank or building society um and they suddenly found that they got a property potential which is worthless uh and them many, many will have nowhere else to go i, I don't think we can under underestimate uh, the degree of pressure and worry and concern that is causing to ordinary families up and down the country. We hear stories of people, uh, you know, we're just going to start a family. We're going to move on to try and buy a little house rather than the flat we're in. We can't move. Uh, this is our retirement home. We're now stuck in it. We're isolated because of COVID. We're in a property with dangerous cladding and we don't know when the bill's going to arrive that we can't pay. Uh, I mean, you, you, you just want to hear the stories to say, you know, we've got to, we've got to make clarity that these people are not going to be left high and dry on the other hand um you know some of the developers who probably should have to pay if they've got it wrong uh some of those developers have gone bust they've gone they've sold the property on yeah it could be 20 30 years ago there'd be a very complicated legal set of arguments to find who should pay uh, if anyone on, on that route and it's all right saying developers should pay it's a bit more complicated freeholders by and large have got no legal obligation to pay some might do but some freeholders are relatively small companies in terms of the sums involved. So that's going to be a problem. So anyway, you come back to, to two possibilities in many cases, one, the taxpayer pays. Uh, the treasurer is not happy. The tre- treasury is running out of money, I understand. So they've got <laughs> some difficulties. Or should the industry as a whole accept some responsibility? Now that's a challenge. I, I, I suspect if you do a poll up now of industry, they'll probably say the taxpayer should pay. I don't know, um, but but I think they're the, the only solutions at the end of the day. If we and we and we want clarity and quick for this, because people are living in dangerous properties currently. Kind
0: of Thank you. So, Clive, that's 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 very clear, and it's a huge question which we'll we'll continue to watch with interest. Ian, what would what would you say from you know BPF? Position
2: here. I'm in, in, in a similar place to, to, to Clive. Um, yeah, clearly leaseholders. Um, you know, have no, um, uh, no responsibility in this. Um, yeah, you know, equally, I, I yeah either freeholder. Yeah, you know, the freeholder may not be the person or organisation that commissioned the building. You know, often their um, yeah their interest in the building is is minuscule in terms of their financial interest. Um, as Clive has said, they're mm-hmm. often small companies. Um, yeah, we had interesting conversation you know, after Grenfell in the, uh, June of twenty seventeen. I spent um a lot of that summer um in a small working group with government. Um you know there was an idea that um yeah, could we find some way of you know lots of fifty pounds um, yeah, um as a way of raising yeah, money that uh, at that time the uh you know the cost was significantly lower. I think it was about four hundred million uh, for ACM cladding. Was the estimate? Uh, yeah, we looked at whether there could be an additional levy on top of building inspections, um, but the figure came out at about a. You know, it was not enough of those sort of events. Uh, the figure came out at about a thousand pounds, which would have been about double, um, you know, what a building inspection costs. Um, the other thing at that time was that government you know, wasn't showing any interest at all in providing any fund, you know, even, even a sort of bridging loan. Till those levies were raised, um, yeah, I still think there is some merit in in that sort of approach. Um, yeah, perhaps um, yeah, there should be a small percentage on, you know, everybody's building insurance. You know, whether that be companies or individuals, um, yeah, we raise the money that way, and then there's a crack squad that goes after, uh, trying to recover as much of those monies from, know yeah, the, the parties that are at fault. Whether it be the developers or the construction product providers or the fitters. Um, but um yeah that that seems the best way to get um yeah to get to where we want to be, which I think is that um yeah there has to be some sort of central funding. Um yeah that helps these people that are in the position, you yeah, know, not 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 eighteen months time, but today. Um yeah. Yeah, we we get calls at BPF from yeah, you know, members of the public um you know who can't transact their properties um or have um yeah cladding that is 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 suspect and um yeah, clearly are yeah being asked to 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 to, to you know, pay for large bills and that that's not acceptable either
0: thank thank you ian for that it's um she says it's, it's a big issue and we'll we'll come back to that maybe a little bit later on um i did have some interesting questions here um for both of you maybe clive you could think about this, but it's financially related and it's um, Al Beavers from Argent um, saying, he fully supports the bill, will create safer homes and buildings. However, have the committee discussed how the impact of the bill might further make home building more difficult and less attractive to investors when Britain is already looking to close its housing shortage? So I suppose the additional cost, the, the burden of doing this. Any any reaction to
1: that? Well, we didn't look at that. That was you no. Know, uh, we, we our remit this time was to look at the the bill um, and what it was proposing. We we didn't go into that territory. What I would say is, we have to be careful. M- most of the key recommendations in the bill are about initially um, very high-rise residential buildings, then moving on maybe to uh, risk buildings like care homes um student blocks etc it won't affect most um residential properties certainly not uh, you know you, you, your your semi your detached house your terrace house that have been built so most of the recommendations don't uh, affect that um and what i would just say back is that if you've got a, a safer regime and a degree of certainty about how things are going to operate that in the end ought to reduce costs didn't it because getting things right first time is always going to be less costly than making mistakes and having to put them right afterwards now maybe that's a simplistic view but i think it's one that uh, uh certainly we can see now the problems we're in because we didn't get it right first time
0: absolutely and the and the bills involved are very large aren't they to remediate that which is, has yes. has fallen short um ian do you have any sympathy with that view
2: uh, i um yeah the uh um regulatory impact assessment, yeah, um, as is uh last sometimes the case, yeah, was um yeah quite quite I suppose sparse in terms of how the costs would be absorbed. Um yeah, some of that is by the industry, yeah, some some of that is by um you yeah, know individual um yeah, leaseholders in the case of, of leasehold property where um yeah the uh the occupational costs are ongoing. Um yeah, I think one, one of the good recommendations from the Select Committee today was that I think it, it, it asked for the government to set out the factors that would it would take into account in terms of you know moving from 18 meters to other typologies of of, of building and other heights. And uh, yeah, yeah, clearly I think it's important that they consider um you know the the cost implications as as part of that. Um but but um yeah I think um in terms of as I said at the start trying to get us to a better place um, you know clearly uh, yeah, there is going to be some cost and um, you yeah, know that that is something that um, yeah, well, it will have impacts but I think it has to be absorbed by the sector and, and other stakeholders.
0: So just lastly on this topic for Clive before we do another sort of ask the audience we've got the spending review tomorrow Clive you've got extraordinary times that the country's in. Did you get a sense that this is a, a timing issue for for the government around finding some funding here or do you think it could be more uh, a principle that they'll be sticking to
1: I wouldn't, expect, I wouldn't expect to see some movement um tomorrow necessarily i think they're still Feeling their way on it, uh, hoping that more developers will come forward. But at the point that may, many of the developers are long gone, the freeholds have nothing to do with the initial development now. So it, it is challenging. Um, and I think they're still trying to find a, 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 another way forward because, I mean, the minister used today the phrase, and I've got some sympathy with it we can't afford to write out a blank cheque. And and at this stage, you you mentioned the 15 billion pound figure, which we quoted in a previous Select Committee report. And that was a guesstimate that was given to us. Uh, And it's back to the point that Ian made earlier. We don't know quite how many properties uh, may need remediation. Uh, We've got an idea because it isn't in terms of making buildings safe. It isn't just the highest rise property. Some of the fires recently have been in slightly lower properties, student blocks, the one in uh Boten, i think you know, the, the the for example the one in in embarking in, in and dagenham um the, so, so the, the i think, think that the scale of the problem is probably still not quantified and therefore I, I, I can have some sympathy with the Secretary of State for uh, HCLG going along to the Treasury and saying uh, now we know you've got properties and uh, problems and you're writing checks out all over the place for everybody can I have one as well please but I'll fill the figures in later um, so I, I think that is a challenge and I think that's probably where the government are at at present great thank you so much well let's ask a question of the of the
0: room first of all maybe we could have the result of the the first poll um, and see if people feel that this legislation has gone far enough. Um, that's interesting. I, I I was maybe gut feeling thought there'd be a more uh, positive um, on that. So interesting to see there between those who did have a view. It is neck and neck. Um, and then if we could bring up our, our next question um, and the next poll, which is around um, who should be putting the bill here um, in the ultimate turn Um, and there's the choices. So original developer or landlord or or freeholder. So leaseholders, those who are inside the properties, central government or other um, and please make your voting on that. Um, And I just wanted to, um, whilst that's happening, um, Clive and Ian, just wanted to come back on a really specific point because it's one that's quite Controversial or new, the building safety charge, which is currently you know, for the proposed for the highest risk buildings, um, and some fears from you know, consumer protection groups that that could be misapplied or um, abused by um, unscrupulous owners, property owners. Um, what, what's your view there? Do you see that as a, as a as a big issue or something that can be managed through the
1: through the bill? Clive, do you want to go on that? Right, I, th- I think we. we th- Yes, I, I can understand the suspicions, um, because while ever, uh, there isn't clarity that leaseholders won't have to pay, then everyone will look to a ways in which they might, may be required to pay. And clearly the building safety charge is a way that that could happen. Uh, I think the committee accepts that there will be cases, ongoing cases, where buildings uh, are, need uh, some improvement work, uh, need additional work uh and to make it clear that work is to make the building safer um, uh, then a charge is appropriate we can go on to some of the details of the charge but in principle yes the the the, the and the minister said that today which is, which is fine but the problem then is unless you are are much clearer about what it can be used for and what it can't be used for then everyone suspects it will be used to transfer the costs of the historic problems onto leaseholders and that is where i think the real concern with leaseholders lies and the committee had those concerns as well yeah
0: ian is that something that you've been focused on
2: yes and uh, i think broadly support what clive has said um yeah the other aspect to it is then how the the ongoing costs of building safety are funded and uh, you're putting that in a separate sort of charge um, yeah, you know, we think, and I think leaseholder groups um think as well. It you know, actually protects them less than you know being treated in the same way as the as the service charge. You know, there is um you know a body of law around service charges, there is um you know, access to the tribunal. Um, you know, in our evidence to the select committee, we suggested other things in terms of you know, some sort of exercise that just sort of published yeah, you know, sort of average costs, um so that um you know, leaseholders can see that they're getting value for money from some of those, and yeah, uh, that's you know, fa- uh, fast-track access to the uh, the tribunal on on uh, the, um, contentious building safety charges. But um, yeah, you know, that's split in terms of yeah, you know, looking back and then looking forward. I think um, yeah, you know, the select committee's landed in the right place on, and I think yeah, uh, you know, broadly speaking, the select committee has also you know, supported our our views and those of ARM and IRPM and others and lkp that um you know it um it doesn't make sense to have a separate build uh, building safety charge going going forward and yeah it, it should be better aligned with the service charge regime
0: great just on a, on specifics around again around finance um we did some research recently from bcg with housing associations primarily and it found that you know the building safety and fire surveys were in the either top one or top three in risk registers at 70% of those organizations, and that the majority of them saw a significant financial cost ahead. And I've got a question here um, from David Taylor, um, which is, there are a number of housing associations who are unable to absorb costs as they are registered charities. Charity law prevents it. In this instance, they may be forced to pass on costs to residents. What's the solution? It's an interesting um, question from obviously a very significantly subsector here that has a lot of multi-occupancy buildings the housing association sector clive have you looked into that yeah,
1: I, we we have at, at various times um and i i began by asking the government about this right at the beginning when the acm issue was at the forefront um and eventually the government did give um a, a sum of money i think it was 400 million pounds for councils and housing associations to remove dangerous cladding, and that was very welcome however when the uh the building safety fund was introduced the billion pounds to deal with uh non-acm but still uh cladding which wasn't of limited combustibility um the the wording there was that housing associations and councils could apply um, but, but they would only get any money if it was proved they couldn't actually pay for it. So there may be a way out for associations that can't pay, but let, let's make it clear. You know, we can't get from government precisely what it means, can't, can't afford to pay. What, what, well, most organisations, most councils and houses, housing associations will be able to find the money somehow, but it will be at some cost. Uh, and that cost could be that they're not going to do a development of new homes, so it could reduce the number of new homes being built, or it could mean that they're not going to do some important maintenance going forward on their existing housing stock. And that could build up problems for the future. And we try to get across to government that simply because uh, social housing providers have got money in the bank, that that money is simply available to deal with these problems. It isn't. Uh, And and ultimately, therefore, uh, if if they're going to carry on with their programmes of house building and proper maintenance, they may have to increase rents to pass it on to their tenants. And that will be just as fair, unfair, asking tenants to pay as it would asking leaseholders to pay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ian, is that that an area that, uh, that you've looked at particularly?
2: it's not uh, uh jules i'm, uh, I'm not a, an expert on sort of charitable um law um yeah clearly i've seen the same uh, uh concerns coming from the uh, the social housing sector um, as clive in terms of the you know, impact that some of these costs will have on their you know on, on their other purposes in terms of whether that is um yeah their uh, housing delivery um pipelines or um impact on their existing tenants okay yeah. that's something. That we share in terms of, you know, we focused on leaseholds, you know, clearly uh, a part of my membership is, is built to rent, is, um, is student accommodation, you know, where, you know, there's the single owner and, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're having to absorb those costs or, or, or we'll have to pass them on loan rents.
0: Just last question on this area and it's a big one and <clears throat> it, it's related, it's around um, what's happened with um, uninsurable buildings um, because of advice in January, we know the EWS1 form debacle has meant that some people can't get valuations or insurance around their homes. Got a question here, actually it's great to have Aon Insurance on, and Mark Manwaring from there is asking, thoughts on how the government can support or intervene with the huge rises in insurance premiums or even buildings that have become uninsurable? Um, Should we just touch on that, um, and, and Clive, what your thoughts are on that? Almost unintended consequences some of the guidance which has led to that issue
1: yeah and it wasn't initially government guidance side of this i think at, at first it you know the the requirements for the the survey and the form were uh, from from the industry um so uh i think i think government has struggled with that one and we now i think rick's are now promising to uh, train um, a, a large number of surveyors in a short period of time Um, Again, that comes back to the problem of of lack of skills in the industry and and the challenge right the way through, I think, the whole of these proposals. But We also heard today that that sometimes these these surveys and forms are being required on buildings where they shouldn't be. It's almost like a a belt and braces job. We we, we, we want to cover ourselves, uh, but we'll go and get one one of these surveys done. Uh, Perhaps perhaps they're not necessary in all buildings. Uh, I I, I think everyone ought ought to be careful um but i would also like a you know, feedback from from the industry itself um you know how, how do you think we you know, this is a problem the industry has created to some extent um surveyors insurers uh how do you think we should get out of the problem yeah ian what's uh, what's your
0: thinking on that
2: yeah it it cuts across a number of um committees at the at the b p f our insurance committee um residential management and others and yeah the the Clarion call I suppose I hear both internally but from other stakeholders is that um yeah, to ultimately resolve this there has to be some sort of solution on on PI insurance that uh, yet yeah, isn't just in such such short supply uh, for the professionals that um, sort of oil the wheels of all of this and um yeah the the work that um Michael Wade is to uh, he gave oral evidence to um the select committee but but couldn't say a lot um, at that stage um, about his work but trying to I suppose steer his way through the various different parts of the industry that are all contributing to this whether it be you know the insurance industry, the the finance industry, surveyors um, or uh, those that are at the sharp end in terms of building owners and and leaseholders. Uh, Very welcome announcements at the weekend in terms of government um, uh saying that it it had spoken to uh the uh, insurers and lenders and uh, uh there's been agreement that um you know, they shouldn't be looking at buildings that are less than eighteen meters and that takes about I think four hundred and fifty thousand um homeowners out of of that predicament. But there's still a lot of householders that are in that predicament and yeah what wasn't clear at the weekend was yeah you know, whether all the funders had had signed up to that. Um yeah yeah sometimes you find u k finance may have but 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 some of their um members or non members may 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 not have so yeah. um yeah well, ultimately we need um you yeah, know probably the government to you know to come forward on the p i insurance with um some sort of um, insurer's last resort um type arrangement that gives confidence then you know in in that part of the sector
1: yeah do
0: do you back that Clive government as insurer of last resort?
1: Um, I'm sure government will not want to go there uh, easily but I think that there has to be something at the the end of the day doesn't it because you know we're back to you know these all whole new roles as well of accountable persons and building safety manager Uh, they're all going to need that sort of insurance aren't they Um, and yeah I, 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 I can yeah hopefully we'll get there in the end but when something new comes up and, and, and measuring risk on something as new as this must must be difficult that that that, that maybe government has to think about uh, about getting involved to some degree. But I'm not an expert on this. Uh, hmm. I I can see the problem. I probably haven't got an easy solution.
0: Great stuff. Well, that's I think good a good walk around the financial issues. And we've got about 10 minutes left, so I'm gonna to turn to residents next. Um, but whilst we, just as we do that, maybe we could see the, the poll result of um where we feel the um, the cost should be borne. So according to our audience, which is uh, quite a large one, um, we've got a slight preference for the original developer, followed by central government, um, and clearly leaseholders um, and also freeholders and landlords not featuring highly there. So that that's interesting, uh, but I think to uh, to be the point of expediting that it's sometimes finding the original developer can be yeah can be a challenge um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um on um moving on and thinking about the the human aspect of this which is you know, at the end of the day we're talking about homes and feeling feeling safe in your homes and this is couldn't be more important to people and hearing the tenant voice has been emphasized in this bill um the importance of the and the strength of the tenant's voice has been emphasized in the social housing white paper that was published last week um, i think you were saying in your recommendations clive that they sh- should we should the bill mandate or fully support a residence group for every high risk building and i t- what i like to ask first is where do you think things have gone wrong in the past um that have led to residents voices not being heard uh, before we look ahead and, and think about what can change
1: life I, I think i think it depends on the residents doesn't it um if, if, if you you've got quite an uh an expensive development uh with professional people living in there um then i think the um you know, whoever's managing that block are probably going to know about it um uh, because there'll be demands placed on them and, and no one will be taken uh, as an answer um if you've got um unfortunately social housing uh with people who are probably um, less understanding of the the system and the technicalities and the legalities and what their rights are, uh, then unfortunately um, some landlords will take that as we can just don't have to take listen to them. We'll just uh, uh, you know get on and, and manage the property as we think best. And if you look at some of the comments around Grenfell uh, and you know residents there saying for not many months but years beforehand. Concerns not being listened to, raising issues not being listened to. There's just a clear theme that goes through there, which you you can't read without recognising something went very, very badly wrong. Uh, And it is almost like uh, social housing tenants. uh, Well, they're only there, aren't they? Because they're failures and therefore we won't bother listening to them. Uh, Poor housing for poor people. Uh, Sorry, that's the theme of it. And we've just got to change that. And if one lasting legacy comes out of Grenfell, apart from um you know getting the whole building industry and the culture changed it'll be about the way we did th- particularly we treat social housing tenants um as people with rights uh not as people who have things done to them yeah
0: yeah um and and so where are you really going to put your focus now and the committee clive on you know, key pieces of either change legislation or other actions that will really support that change
1: well, we've obviously got the uh, proposals from the government the other day uh, about a new regulator. I think it's quite possible we'll have the regulator in at some point to talk to them about uh, um, you know, what they're going to do. I mean, This is not r- rocket science. Having a national regulator for a start, I think, is a good step forward. Um, the, um, the interesting thing, of course, is we used to have something called the Tenant Services uh, Authority. I think it was called TSA. Uh, it was abolished shortly after the 2010 election i would be interested to know um, what additional, what what extra powers, what different powers and responsibilities does the new regulator have from what the old regulator used to have? Um, you know, he, he got pushed into the uh, homes and community agencies. It was as as a, as a sideshow uh, to the building of homes. Uh, hopefully, that the management of homes now is up front. So we'll probably have a look at the, the new regulator. Uh, there's also an ombudsman there. there's a, there's a, there's a housing ombudsman. Um, and uh, we've had the housing ombudsman in to see uh, see us, Uh, he wants to make some changes to the way that house operates Uh, and I think the housing ombudsman can do a job as well to highlight failings across the housing sector. Uh, In the past it was just looking at individual complaints but where there is a a, a, a number of complaints of a similar nature coming forward then thematic reports, a bit like the local government ombudsman has been doing, I think are really helpful uh, to everyone concerned, and the Housing Ombudsman, you know, been to see us uh, recently as well. So we, we, we can follow up there, uh, but, but in the end, there's challenges to the sector, aren't there? There's, there's challenges to social landlords to get this right. We can have as many regulators as you want. They they can't work effectively unless most of the sector wants to do the right thing themselves.
0: Great. Thank you, Clive. So, so Ian, what, what, what's your thinking, seeing how this theme is you know, gaining... Gaining volume and it's an important outcome of this um, legislation
2: I think in it's one of those rare issues where in some parts of the sector we're we're, we're possibly in a good good place um, and in other parts of the sector I think there are some challenges so yeah, um, you look at something like student accommodation yeah, um, has a very good code of practice um, you yeah, know a, a lot of that is about um, engagement um, yeah yeah uh, complaints procedures a tribunal for taking serious complaints and uh, yeah i think the the level in, of engagement with students um tends to be yeah really really good um yeah build build to rent similarly um yeah the whole sort of service ethos is, you know keeping your customer is all about engagement yeah. and therefore yeah, build build building safety shouldn't be a, a huge additional burden in terms of being yeah having residence engagement strategies and using uh, technology and and the like to uh, perform that um yeah i think i think the challenge probably will be the leasehold sector where um yeah pe- people want the quiet enjoyment of their of their home and uh, yeah um, yeah I've lived in in flats in London and trying to get um leaseholders to engage sit on residence management committees and, and that sort of thing is is just extremely challenging so um, yeah I think it again it, I, I hope the legislation is not too constraining it allows you yeah, know the use of uh, of portals and technology to be able to deliver um, yeah, some of those communications to leaseholders and yeah, delivers those um, inf- critical information that they need and you yeah, know in, in, in the best form really.
1: If I could just say Juliet uh, as well that the uh, you know, I didn't want the, the impression that there aren't some really good social landlords because there are. Uh, and one thing the regulator can usefully do is, is to compare and contrast um, some of them. I mean, I've got you know, no housing associations in my area, some of which are brilliant at engaging with tenants, and others I think rather wish the tenants would go away. Um, you know, <laughs> they're the nuisance <laughs> that's there that has to be put up with. But I think it's one other issue, and he is absolutely right. Uh, sometimes people don't want to be engaged. If things are actually managed well and they're going okay, people are often just happy to to, to sit in their home, but they need somewhere to go and to be listened to when things start to go wrong.
0: Great stuff. Well, just the last couple of minutes then, um, got a specific, just a comment here uh, from Helen Hall. Um, Just thinking about this uh, to your point Ian, early on about, um, is this an issue that's big enough to grab the attention? Um, And I think our research shows it certainly is in social landlords, but uh, Helen has said, we discussed building safety at our board meetings um and we know it's high up on risk registers so that's good um quick question um panelists best estimates on when the bill will go before parliament
1: oh well i think the government's intending to get it into uh, into parliament early in the new year that's what they've said Uh, i mean we promise we deliver them uh, as we've done on time by the end of November, uh, our response—they've obviously got to look at it, hopefully very carefully, because, like the minister said, there were 40 recommendations he found altogether uh, in the bills. He's obviously read it, read it uh, at least superficially already, uh, but clearly it's a big challenge for government then to look at it and, and respond properly to us, um, uh, and to try and get as much of the secondary legislation written before um, the committee stages in Parliament uh, look at the uh, at the revised uh, bill when it comes to us. So. Um, It'll probably go through Parliament next year, I would have thought, next calendar year. Uh, But then the issue we referred to before, uh, it will be quite a long time before some of the regulations uh, come out perhaps and then are actually enacted. Uh, uh, And that timeline is so important that uh, the industry uh, gets a sight of that as soon as possible, what government's thinking is.
0: Yeah, and a, a very broad topic and talk about culture change. Ian, you're close to the industry. It's a very difficult question but when could we look at it and think right things really have all been in place it's understood it's working culture has moved to a more uh you know safety focused one focused on the individual
2: i think um yeah the next 18 months months are critical Yeah, you're clearly uh there's a number of things that we haven't touched on today you yeah, know the um the function of the, the functions of the regulator um the transitioning process um, for existing buildings because they they if they're 18, over 80 meters they'll get transitioned into the into the new regime. Um, yeah, I hope um, the industry and um, yeah I, I know from the people that I work with that yeah you know, they, they will use the next um, yeah, sort of 18 months wisely. Um, yeah, getting up to speed with the requirements, ensuring that. Yeah, they are, you know, putting in place their um their safety cases, their um golden threads, their uh, um building safety managers. Um I suppose the fear I always have is that um you know, BPF we tend to see the best of the industry and you know there's all you know people who are able to, you know, get out there and employ consultants and others to, to do the work for them. Um yeah, but there's a whole wider um property owning and, and building sector out there that um yeah, we'll we'll need more 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 support to get to that stage.
0: Ian, thank you very much. And, um, Clive, maybe just leave the 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 last word for you. What's your message to the industry, and what you'd hope for to see all of this you know, good good work so far become a reality?
1: Oh, I I think take a careful look uh, at the um, legislation. If you've still got concerns, uh, you know, raise them. Uh, you know, I think there still will be a lot of Um, details that need to be considered when the second legislation comes out, Uh, maybe government will be open to change some of the details as they go along, Uh, but certainly raise concerns, but then embrace the intention and clear intention is um, to make sure that buildings that are built in future are safer and buildings that are managed uh, from now on are safer as well i think that that, that that's very clear we never want a grenfall to happen again it's all our responsibilities to make sure it doesn't
0: excellent i think it's uh, been a, a, a really excellent conversation thank you so much to clive betts mp and, and on a busy day of his report coming through to come and join us this evening ian thank you so much for all of your comments um and thanks to everybody who's joined and, and participated um, Thank you and have a good evening.